Welcome! Uh, the, the herd mentality. It's my show. I'll do the introductions. Joining me today is... My name is Eric Hoven. Yes. Yes, it is. Now, Eric, you've been on holidays for 17 years. Is that true? Yeah! What have you been doing all that time? I'm waiting for God to come back. For 17 years? What did you find? We have a big old long period of nothing. A productive use of your time, do you think? You're not addressed. <laughs> well, no, I can't say I am. Well, really, yeah, I guess that's what you are. You're just a little bit of soup, aren't you? A... a what? Okay, fine. Evolution at its finest. Well, I wouldn't say that. What an incredible design. What, with redundant organs, wisdom teeth, and knee joints ultimately doomed to fail? What would cause all that? A cosmic belch. Hmm. Okay, let's talk a little about you. Yes, ladies and gentlemen. In terms of credentials, you excelled at one particular subject at school. Science! And what did you take away from eight years at university? Science is based on facts! Is that all? Science has all the answers! Well, that's not true. First of all, we've got cosmic evolution. I think you've been spending too much time in the Chopra laboratories. Does, does that make sense? Nope. Cool! Somehow we call that modern science? I don't. In fact, no real scientists do. Now, I know a lot of people think that religion and science do not go together. Well, they don't. You better keep those two totally separate in your brain. I do. Others like Ray Comfort, however. The banana! Give him a hand. Great job, great job. Yeah. So about Ray. He's been working on his project of late, uh, the 8 horsepower solid gold butt plug. Wow. I'm told it's missing some components. But the magic ingredient isn't just a kiss. Probably not. What does the project require? You have to give it time. Ah. Have you had an opportunity to give it a test drive? I mean, you gotta be kidding me, right? <laughs> of course you have. What was I thinking? Your feedback from the experience? There's another way to look at the world. Okay, Eric. One final question. The whole Jesus thing and coming back to life. Yeah, that's a fairy tale. That doesn't happen. Eric Hovind, thanks for your time. Thanks for joining me. Who am I? Where did I come from? Lady... I can hear you uh, breathing, breathing and sniffling just quietly. Yeah, so I'm just wanna... dying. Wait, I'll try and yeah, I'll try and be careful of that. If I die on the show, feel free to like use that as a sympathy oh, advertisement for your show. It's a, it's a Michael Shellock died on this show. <laughs> Even the guests are bored to death. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Herd Mentality, an eclectic weekly mix of atheistic and humanistic conversations with complete strangers. I've never met them and they've never met me, but we're throwing caution to the wind, taking a risk with a dodgy internet connection, and God willing, get an interesting conversation for you to listen to. I'm your host, Questionable Adam, at Adam Reeks on Twitter, and it's time to meet our guests. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Herd Mentality Podcast. With me today, I have a gentleman who goes by the handle at Sherlock Michael, whose name is in reverse Michael Sherlock. And you've written a book. Hello, Michael. Hey, Adam. How you doing? Extra good. Thanks for caring. Whereabouts are you based? I'm based in Japan, mate. I live in Japan. But your accent isn't Japanese. Japanese. It's fluent Japanese. Fluent Japanese, yes. Uh, with the with, with side <laughs> of Australian. What's going on? Why are you over there and not here? Okay, well, I'm from Sydney originally. I lived in Tassie and then, yeah, I've been in Japan for over 10 years with my wife and we got two kids here. And I'm in Japan because, I don't know, I don't like living in Australia. With good reason. Have you seen our government lately? I've seen it since for a long time. I don't see much difference. It's Once GST came in, I just didn't want to pay anything, so I just left. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. And out of curiosity, where are you in, in regards to the Fukushima nuclear plant? I live in the plant, right in the centre of the plant. That's 
probably not the best spot to be right now. No, actually, I live in the center of <laughs> Japan, so we weren't we weren't directly affected when that hit. Although the supermarkets in our areas, like obviously, like tons of people needed aid, so the supermarkets were all kind of drained bare, and there were rations put on everyone and stuff like that. So it was, yeah, yeah it wow. was pretty serious at the time. Obviously, it's all changed now. Things have improved. I mean, this was a year ago, wasn't it? Yeah, they. The Japanese bounce back quick, although there's been a lot of controversy around the Fukushima incident and, uh, you know, the Fukushima plant owners paying towns to say that they want the, the factory, the plant to stay and bribing officials and all this sort of stuff's gone on. We lost a prime minister because of it. But then again, Japan changes prime ministers like underwear. So, yeah, they lost a prime minister because he wanted the plant out of Japan. And But Japan's got tons of nuclear plants all around and that's really a stupid thing for a country that has so many earthquakes in my opinion. I mean, you've got to build to your strengths. You've got to play to your strengths with this sort of stuff. Australia, why we're burning coal, beyond me. We've got this awesome potential for solar. But anyway, that's a distraction. What we're talking about is uh, a little book you sent me a copy of called I Am Christ. That's right. When did you knock this out? This has been, this is a relatively recent occurrence? Well, it was published in December 2012, but I've been writing it for quite some time. It's actually part of a three-volume series I've written, and the second volume's out now as well, I Am Christ uh, to the Resurrection. And essentially, it's a three-volume attack on the Christian religion. Specifically the Christian religion, though. Specifically the Christian religion, hence I am Christ. The title throws a lot of people and gets them upset, which is what I wanted. I want to provoke people. I think when people are provoked, they talk, they get angry, and that's when things get aired out. Yeah. And the festering disease of religion is brought to the surface <laughs> when people get angry, I think. so. Yeah, see, I went completely the other direction. Yeah, that's I, why I, I, I had I, the herd mentality, so nobody knows what's going on. It doesn't <laughs> evoke anything at all. They, they just follow. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, they just follow. They're like, so I'm like, follow. Like good minions. So you've written this book attacking Christianity specifically. So who's the audience? Where are you headed with this? The audience is everyone from atheists to Christians. I've had uh, a few good reviews of the book already, like one guy, Dr. Rick Herrick. He's the author of a book called The Case Against Evangelical Christianity. And he went to the, or he was admitted to the same Bible college that Bart Ehrman I don't know if you heard of Bart Ehrman. He's pretty renowned now, a Bible scholar. He went to that same Princeton Theological Seminary, and he gave me a great review for the book. He's uh, kind of a Christian. I guess you could call him a Christian, but he's not a fundamentalist. Then I had another guy, a Christian guy, just rip my book apart, and he hates it. He's like, there's good material in there, but it's just like he's mocking us. It's like, well, yeah, I kind of was. (laughs) So I'm glad you got that. Like, I didn't want that to slide by. So I am a little bit antagonistic. Uh, I like to be antagonistic. As I said, I like to provoke. It's a three-volume attack on the Christian religion. Sorry if I'm not coherent. I have a terrible flu, but... Oh, look, nobody on this show is coherent. In fact, I edit it (laughs) such that (laughs) they're even worse when it goes to air. (laughs) So let's stretch your memory. So this has been out now for, uh, what, the better part of 10 months. I've recently wrapped my looking gear around a copy of it. One of the things you you mentioned, see, I'm I'm relatively new to the atheism thing as well, so I'm sort of learning as I go, and you mentioned confirmation bias, and you discussed it at length. I never heard, prior to this, of 
Disconfirmation bias. And I didn't oh. know that there was a study about it. So <laughs> what's going on there? What's the study about? I'm glad you got something out of the book. That's good. <laughs> that, that's, yeah, I'm going to mark that as one, one success. Um, <laughs> disconfirmation bias is basically the opposite of uh, confirmation bias. It's where we ignore information that comes into conflict with our beliefs, with dearly held beliefs. Essentially, commentators over the centuries have been commentating on this. Thucydides wrote in the Peloponnesian War. He wrote in the Peloponnesian War that, you know, people tend to prefer their beliefs and they'll adopt information or take on information that confirms their beliefs and dismiss anything that comes into conflict with it. Commentators like Francis Bacon and others have commented on it. And, you know, it's, it's been around for a long time. Just recently, uh, relatively recently, it's been coined disconfirmation bias by social psychologists. And essentially, there are, there are studies done, basically, there was one done on capital punishment where the people were presented three, three articles on capital punishment and they separated the groups into those opposed to capital punishment and those for it. What they did is they gave, the first study they gave to the people was a very thorough study that confirmed their opinions. The, th the second study was one that went against their opinions and the third one was a mega study which you could interpret either way and they found that people basically disregarded the evidence that went against their beliefs and yeah, confirmed or, yeah, took on those pieces of evidence that gave them reason to keep believing as they do. And that's because of the psychological device called primacy, where essentially the first belief you have is the most significant in your psychology. Generally speaking, of course, you know, people grow past religion, they grow past beliefs. But essentially, we're creatures of habit, and this translates into our psychology as well. Oh, exactly. And so we... Yeah. Yeah, we tend to defend our beliefs, whether they're rational or not. And part of that is because our beliefs are located in our ego and the ego has certain defense mechanisms which come in and protect beliefs and distort reality to protect our beliefs. And part of the reason that is, I think, is because, or well, according to neuroscience, the regions of the brain that govern belief are also the regions that govern our emotion. They govern our feelings of self-relevance and self-worth. And so they're inextricably linked in our neurology and our psychology. And I'm trying to, with my books, not only break down Christianity, and I'm, I've got a future book series planned for Islam as well, but I'm also trying to at least let the believers see what's happening in their head so they can get a better perspective, I guess. That's fascinating stuff. When you say how it's... Uh, it's Linked to one's ego, I mean, that that's something that we could just pick up through anecdotal conversations. You certainly can. And I put a visualization exercise in there because part of my studies I've done for myself, my own personal research has been into NLP, neuro-linguistic programming and hypnosis trance induction. And it's pseudoscience, but there are a lot of very... Um, interesting aspects to those pseudosciences so i put a visualization exercise in that first volume and it's where the believer is confronted with a situation in which their belief is disconfirmed and how do they react and so I, I use a visualization exercise to try and take them through it and see how they'd feel about that and so yeah i try and employ that as well that left a an impact on me because you set a scene and you said everything from what the color of the walls is to what fragrances in the air to put yourself in a position and then have somebody else address you in a way that perhaps you've been addressing other people mm. and it's a just a thought experiment it's something yeah. you can do by yourself and i did it i did it and it, it's actually something that i applied to the most recent episode of the show 
believe it or not, just out of curiosity. One of the other things you wrote about in the book, Cognitive Dissonance. Now, listeners to this show know that Cognitive Dissonance is a far superior podcast. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if you're aware of this, Michael. I haven't you? heard of it, no. Um, if you enjoy swearing and references to uh, extraordinary sexual practices, then um, <laughs> I would suggest getting your hands on a, on a copy of their feed and having a listen to it. But uh, that's not the cognitive dissonance. You used some UFO analogies. The Seekers, the millennial group, the doomsday cult. You know, they're really big words. Could we just address this as nutbags, perhaps? Or Yeah, nutbags is a good, good way to put it. But when you look at it, and after giving that analogy and looking at the study that uh, Leon Festinger did, the father of cognitive dissonance theory, there were a few problems with that study. However, the main, the roots and the outcomes of that study have been very valuable uh, in terms of developing the theory of cognitive dissonance. A cognitive dissonance essentially is where you have two conflicting beliefs or to, uh, a belief and a behavior that come into conflict with each other and how the mind works to resolve that conflict and that conflict causes a disease in the person and so they have to resolve that conflict and the dissonance is just about that schism that antagonism between two different beliefs or a belief and a behavior or, or something along those lines yeah so in my book i give an example i i take them through the seekers example where there was this group in the u.s who believed that their leader miss marion keach was telepathically communicating with aliens and that America was going to be destroyed in a massive flood like Noah, I guess. And what was going to happen is that group was going to be t saved aboard the alien ships when the flood came. But what happened is that she, the Mrs. Marion Keach, she set a date for that flood and that date came and went. And so the social psychologists who were observing the group wanted to see how people reacted to this. And what they found is that many of the group or most of the group stayed on. Some left, but most stayed. And what they did is they employed a rationalization or an adaptational strategy, as it's called. That is, they developed a new belief, a little peripheral belief, to append or amend the original belief. And that is, they said, well, U.S. has been saved by the faith of our group. Okay, so now what they've done is they've adapted to the situation. And you see, and I give an example, I also draw that analogy to Christianity. And you look at, for example, when geology came in as a science and it blew up the Usher's chronology that the world was, of the earth was 6,000 years old. Geology just smashed that. And so all of a sudden you have this proliferation of the gap theory and the day-age theory and people trying to rationalize, oh, okay, well, in Genesis, between verse 1 and 2, there's, uh, there's a gap there, all right? And it's, or it's unsupported by Scripture. It doesn't make sense in Hebrew. There's absolutely no evidence for it, but there must be a gap there because it's the Word of God. It can't be wrong, and we know that this science is a sure thing. So what the hell? All right, look, there's a gap in between verse 1 and 2. That accounts for the fossil record, the dinosaurs and everything. Whew, we're safe. Okay, that's good. That's good. <laughs> then theologists went and smashed that theory to pieces, and they got really upset. And, of course, then you have the uh, group that was antagonistic to geology, that you have the anti-geology theories that say, well, geology is a bunked science. It doesn't work. It's crap. So we are still going to stay with the 6,000-year-old Earth, and we have those guys today. Oh, they come on this later, show. <laughs> the young Earth, yeah, the young Earth creationists. They come on they're, this show. They're akin to the Flat Earth Society. I don't know if you've heard of them. I uh, haven't had one of those guys on yet. You should. They're awesome. <laughs> the Flat Earth Society, the, the the photos from space, it's all a conspiracy, man. It's oh. Satan's conspiracy, man. Yeah. And so how, how so do satellites the, work in two dimensions? <laughs> <laughs> 
you did a little bit of role play with some Bronze Age characters, and you seem authoritative on the oh. subject. On the subject, so I'm prepared to um, to follow your lead on this. When is Jesus coming back, mm. and how can the Christians prepare for disappointment yeah, yeah. when it doesn't happen? Well, Jesus is coming back according to the Scripture. Right, I'm only going because I'm a good boy and I stick to Scripture. Scripture says he's coming back in the year. Around about 90, 90 CE, 90 AD, that's when he's coming back. He's coming back before the end of the first century. Right. Okay, he'll be back then. Yep. All right, so just wait. Hang on, what century are we in now? Uh, hang on, let me check my watch. Uh, hang on, that was 120th of now. He's late. He does this sometimes. He's, uh, he's not he to does be trusted. This sometimes. Maybe he's been hung up somewhere. Yeah, he, I think he might have actually. Now, some some have said he was hung on a tree. Others have said he was nailed to a cross. I reckon he's just got friends to cover for him, and he's just full of it. <laughs> I don't I don't reckon any of it happened. Hey. I reckon he just wants to party somewhere. Well, there's yeah, no doubt you've been reading about that as well. Now that perhaps the whole Jesus thing is a is a myth. I go into that in the second volume of my series, actually, because mm. there's two separate issues there with the whole mythicist thing. There's the, the issue of the historical Jesus, that is, the guy who walked around Palestine and ranted and raved like a maniac, and who was actually a maniac, okay? Let's be honest. <laughs> uh, there's that aspect to it. Well, did he exist? Did that human character exist? That's an issue for historical analysis, right? With that issue, you need to look at the sources of the time were there contemporaneous sources were there silence of historical sources where there shouldn't have been silence that is did people not speak about him that really should have spoken about him and if so what are the implications of that silence there's all these issues for historical analysis for the human nut job right then there's the christ aspect that is the messiah the mythical aspect and that's where you go into comparative mythology and so in the first volume of my series, I deal with the historical Jesus question, the human nut job, did he exist? I think we're still out to lunch on that one. I, I obviously <laughs> can't say the further back you go in history, the less certain you can be because his, history well, isn't a physical science. It's no, you don't get the certainty of a physical science. You can't add X chemical to Y chemical and produce A outcome. With history, you're always dealing with a certain amount of uncertainty. So when you're dealing with ancient history, obviously it gets more uncertain as it goes back. So we can't be sure that he didn't exist, but we certainly can't be sure that he did exist as a human character. And the you'd, Christ... You'd think the, there'd be yeah. a lot more contemporaries writing about somebody of his stature. It depends. It's so... I'm torn about that issue, to be honest. Like, this is another thing as well, that I like mythology, I like studying mythology, and, and I've recently been studying the lectures of one of the world's greatest i'd say she's at the moment she's one of the best scholars on classical mythology um, professor elizabeth van diver and she she talks she gives you criteria for myth she say they have these criteria and i wrote a little piece on it called history is untrue myth i beg to differ with c.s lewis one of her criteria is that mythographers those who write myth always set the myth back in a remote time that mm. is the myths are set in the remote past Okay, this is in classical myth she's talking about, okay, the, the ancient Greek myths and so forth. But what I've argued in my piece is that the mythographers of the, Ju of the Christian, Judeo-Christian scriptures have also set their myth, not so much in a remote past, although you could call it a remote past because it was put into writing over a generation after 
his alleged crucifixion is the first gospel we have mark although apparently there were folk stories going around about it before then but it was put into writing a whole generation after that alleged crucifixion now that 40 years in our time well, we can't compare that we can't say that's the remote past in our time if we go back 40 years from now what are we in the 1970s still had cars we have, we, we have documentaries we have video we have um, a wealth of media that connect us to that time however back in those times literacy was not so widespread there weren't many chroniclers Okay, it's particularly in that region. And living to 30 years old was considered a good life. exactly, right? So the Christian writers were still setting their myth in a remote past for that time. That is, the people that were reading it were disconnected from events 40 years ago, much more than we'd be disconnected from events 40 years from our time back, Hmm. if you understand what I'm saying. And they not only used remoteness of time, but they used remoteness of location. So they set it where? In this little remote part of the empire where there's no witnesses, there's hardly any witnesses, although they did shoot him itself in the foot because within their myths, within the Gospels, the ones that were chosen as the official ones later on, late in the second century they were chosen, these four Gospels we have now, um, within those we have accounts that say, well, there were thousands of witnesses, that the scribes of um, Jerusalem knew about him, okay, well, then we should have extra biblical sources, but we don't. So that silence is suspicious. But however, yeah, they still, it's, it's a hard issue. Bart Ehrman, one of the best scholars on that area, says, I think there was a historical Jesus. And because of the genre of the writing of the time, that is, for example, Plato's biographers, whenever they wrote about him, they said, well, he was the son of God and all these, you know, symbolic motifs they attached to his life, mythological motifs they attached to his life. Some were very similar to the later Jesuses as well, or the way they wrote about Pythagoras or the way they wrote about Alexander the Great. They enter all these mythological aspects to very human characters later on. You know, they mythologize it, you know, like, you know, mm. Benny from down the road, he could drink like 50 pints of beer and like he could still jump off the roof, man, and land all right. <laughs> you know, we do it as humans, right? We exaggerate and that becomes a story. And it's like, did you hear about Benny 50 years ago? Oh, Apparently he could gosh. drink the whole pub. He could jump off a skyscraper. Bang, we've got Christianity. <laughs> but, okay, that's one argument. But then Ehrman kind of, in my opinion, shoots himself in the foot because he says, well, we can't trust the Gospels either because they're laced with forgeries. Uh, the authors weren't contemporary with the events they were describing. We don't have any historical sources up until the second century that are reliable. I mean, we have Josephus, who was a first century Jewish person and we've got references to jesus in there but those references specifically relating to the jesus of the gospels have been proven to be forgeries christian forgeries we have 20 other jesuses in his work as well the antiquities of the jews different jesuses 20 different jesuses so sorry the name was pretty common back then so we there's a lot of problems back to the cognitive dissonance thing we just just sort of no 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 i'm I'm sort of trying to apply this to the modern brain yeah i mean this is all stuff that is easily accessible knowledge okay it's not as easily accessible as the bible because that's basically everywhere but it's information that people have access to and yet they choose to disregard it exactly or at least not take it into their into consideration there's no sense of curiosity for a lot of Christians. I think 
also that's because the theology predominantly rails against curiosity. Doubt is a bad thing. Doubt is a negative thing. Curiosity killed Lot's wife when she looked back to see Sodom and Gomorrah trashed by God, mm. turned her into a, into a packet of salt. Curiosity stuffed us with Adam and Eve too, didn't it? Curiosity with uh, Thomas, the doubting Thomas. He was the most intelligent disciple in my opinion, and he gets the baddest rap in the Gospels. This guy said, I don't believe you're Jesus, I'm going to check. Mm. Right? I, I want to touch your wound because I think you're full of it. And you would, right? You would. But it's kind of weird that no one recognizes Jesus. He comes back in his own body, and even like Mary Magdalene, his closest, uh, one of his closest female disciples anyway, she doesn't recognize him when he comes out of the tomb. I'm not sure what he was dressed like or... It's a bad hair day. Yeah, maybe, 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 yeah. But, like, you see the absurdity. It's myth, you know. And when you take myth seriously, you, you have to use confirmation bias and disconfirmation bias to, to rationalize and to make it real. It's the biggest mistake Christianity made is to try and historicize their myths. Mm. Once they did that, it, I think it put a time stamp on the religion. I think once they, they tried to historicize it, bring that mythical realm to earth and make it real and fit it in with a, with an actual historical narrative with historical characters i think that's when they shot himself in the foot and eventually i think christianity is going to die out mm. as look as education increases no doubt no mm. doubt it won't just be christianity it'll be take your pick yeah. you, you spoke about doubt one of the other things you spoke about in the book was uh fear and it's one of the greatest shackles on the progress of our species. Uh, it's hampered us a great deal to date. Mm. Why do we fear? What are we fearing? What should we fear? I don't know. I, I'm not a guru. I can't give people <laughs> answers. But although there's a lot of money in that, maybe I should do that. Yeah. There was a guy, this religious guy, came to my page, my Facebook page, and he's like, you're just doing this for the money. And I'm like, okay, I would have to be the stupidest person in the world to think that writing against religion, the biggest religion in the world, would make me money. <laughs> if I wanted to make money, I'd give props to Jesus and like Ray Comfort. Look at his page. It gains thousands every day. Yeah. I, I, sh I should write a book for Jesus. I'd make tons of money that way. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, you idiot. I'm not in it for the money. How can I be in it for the money? On this side yeah. of the fence, alas, we pay tax. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't like tax. Well, no, in that case, um, I think Ray Comfort's after a new secretary, if you can, for a gig. How much is in for? Or how much money can I get? Oh, at least $12.50 a week in a bowl of dirt. Uh, I don't have to believe in Jesus, though, do I? Because the Pope <laughs> said I don't anymore. Well, that's true. You can go to heaven now, regardless of whether or not you actually believe in it or not. What a scam. you got a free pass. What a scam. But you what do have to follow him on Twitter, though. <sighs> Yeah. Like, okay, this is what really frustrates me, right? Oh, from the beginning, Christianity is a religion that trends. It's a trending religion. Okay, it takes the Jewish religion and tries to adapt it to pagans, right? Or we'll call them pagans for lack of a better word, non-Christian Gentiles. And the non-Christian Gentiles, they don't like chopping the end of their, their jimmy off, right? Yeah. They don't like it. <laughs> so they say, look, we've reversed all that. Don't worry about all that. They like pork. They like to eat pork. Don't worry. You can eat pork now. Oh, they don't like all the... Oh, the Sabbath doesn't work for us because, you know, oh, it's gone. What else do you want? Tell, tell us what else. And we'll just write it in the Gospels. We'll, we'll scratch it all. And so they have to take an apparently omnipotent, omniscient God's word. He's killed people for the, breaching these rules in the past. Oh, yeah. And reverse them. But in that same Old Testament, it tells you 
God never changes nor never changes his mind. Well, the flood's evidence that that's a crock of rubbish, isn't it? <laughs> well, there, there was a marked difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. God had a, a completely different... Um, he had a new personality installed. He met Dr. Phil. <laughs> Dr. <laughs> Phil gave him do it. Like some really good parenting advice. I wrote this, this um, and I'm going to write a book in the future on parenting tips for God. But on my Facebook page, if you scroll down, you'll see seven parenting tips for God. And so I'm counseling God as well. I'm trying to pick up where Dr. Phil left off. <laughs> it's just stupid. Fear. That's what you were saying. Yeah. Let's talk fear. I got back on the topic. Excellent. That's like <laughs> the first time for me. All right. Good. Let's stick with it. I'm on it. Fear. Uh, fear. Why do we fear? What do we fear? I think fear is a healthy thing. Okay. I think fear is a survival mechanism. All these hippie gurus and new ages, I don't, I don't like them. I don't not like them. I don't like their screeds. I don't like their rubbish. New age stuff and old age i don't like any of age i don't like any age i don't like people i don't like people i hate everyone no sorry that's not what i was saying what i was saying was fear i think is a healthy thing i think it's a natural thing we use it to survive if there's a tiger running at us well fear's going to help us run a little bit faster isn't it might not be of any use but it's going to help us when that fear is turned against us i think by malign manipulators I think that's when fear can become destructive. When we turn fear against ourselves even, I think that's when fear can become destructive and counterproductive. But fear is a natural evolutionary mechanism that's helped us survive. Well, not I only survive, it, but also prevail. Yeah, we're, prevail. At, the top, exactly, we're at the top yeah, of the food yeah. chain here. Exactly. But like everything, you know, it's a double-edged sword. It can be turned against us. And I think this is what religion plays on. It plays on two primary fears, and I think, Possibly these two primary fears are related. Number one is the fear of uncertainty, and number two is the fear of death, our mortality. And religion comes with two shots of anesthetic for both of those fears. I'm uncertain about our origins, our purpose, where we're going. Religion will give me all of those certainties. They're false certainties, they're rubbish, mm. but they'll give them to me. And if I believe them, then my confirmation bias my disconfirmation bias, my adaptational strategies, my rationalizations are all going to keep those in check and I'm going to have false certainty. Ignorance is bliss. And I'm going to feel oh, everything's right with the world. Okay? Uh, there's a big sky daddy looking after me and everything's good and I know that we came from Adam and Eve 6,000 years ago and all those those evil scientists tell me that the Earth's much older and there's this big bang and there's a no, 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 no. Confirmation bias, my disconfirmation bias, my psychological devices, my ego, that's all going to protect me from that nasty, nasty information and I've got certainty. So religion comes with that inbuilt sedative, if you like, for that uncertainty. It also provides the inbuilt sedative for the fear of death. Obviously, with the afterlife, we're going to go to the pearly gates with the gold and the, fr the trees that bear fruit monthly. And again, another scam, isn't it? It's just a scam. I mean, they're actually selling things. Like This is what it's like. Those people, those people <laughs> that sell property on the moon and on other planets. Have you heard of that scam? Oh, yes. Uh, in fact, Dr. Carl, I think, has purchased a star. Oh. Those I, people he, he that knew, sell... He knew exactly what Not he was the people that into. sell it. No, I'm not angry at them. I'm no, not no, no. angry at them, actually. But the, the people I who like purport them. to sell something they can't possibly sell. No, I like them. I think they're clever. I think they had an ounce of insight into the stupidity of our species and said, huh, I can actually get some money out of this. Good on you. 
Well, that, that's, the ba- that's the basis of this podcast. In fact, if uh, people subscribe <laughs> and give me $5 a month, they get bonus afterlife insurance. <laughs> that's good. That's it's good. See, you're picking up. That, that's excellent. <laughs> that's really good. See, now I like you. Now I like you. Now you're in my good book. I'm just writing your name down now. You're in my good book. All right. No smiling. It's just a ripoff, isn't it? It's a scam. It's a scam. There's no other way to put it. It's a scam. And, and the scam has become tradition. It's mm. protected by tradition. It's protected by society. And it's the only scam in the world which is untaxable. I mean, it's brilliant. <laughs> With thinking processes such as these, do you think it'd be possible to design and deploy a modern-day religion? Yeah, would... look at Scientology. Oh, yeah. Look at um, Tom Cruise and all these rich people buy into this stuff, man. They love it. It's, you know, it's an alternative. And they think they're buying freedom from the arcane religions and everything. They're just buying a new one. It's the, the old repackaged, isn't it? Although Scientology, I don't think, is going to kick off as well as like the Baha'i faith and these other ones. No. Because these, <laughs> these other faiths were clever enough to to attach themselves to long-standing traditions, mm. and when when anything has a long-standing tradition, for example, you know Coca-Cola since whenever in 1922, whatever, when a product is in the market for an extended period of time, it gains a certain legitimacy. And so these religions, and this is what Christianity did by attaching itself to Judaism, mm. it took on, it came up as a new Scientology of its time, but it was clever. It, it hinged itself to Judaism, which had a long-standing tradition, and so it, it hijacked its legitimacy. Then it turned around and tried to, yeah, basically kill all the Jews, which, um, yeah, was carried over into World War II, etc. Mm. But um, it's a scam. What are your thoughts on perhaps helping me build the herd mentology religion, which is a, just a, <laughs> like the bolt-on pack, the bonus add-on for uh, for Scientology? What do you get with it? I'll throw in two litres of milk. Sounds good. Yeah? Convincing? Everyone needs milk. How about some persecution? I can give you Wait. some persecution. Lactose intolerance. You didn't think of that, did you? Uh, people, people, some people have lactose intolerance. How about a knife as well? A knife. Ah, oh, why, why use a knife? Well, si- knife. Simply a sharp stone will do the job. <laughs> I live in Japan. I can get those Ginsu, those really good ones. Oh, global? Global knives? Yeah, uh, yeah I think they Can they do I rocks? Do they do global rocks? I can get them cheap. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't tell them that. We'll tell them it's expensive. Uh, purple robes. You can't go wrong with purple robes. Purple robes, robes red shoes and silly hats. Knives. Herd mentology. <laughs> <laughs> Carries legitimacy. We'll probably finish up on one point that I wanted to quiz you on. All right. The book's pretty heavy lifting, and I only interview people who come on the show who have books that are heavy lifting because then I can sort of ask them about the stuff that I don't really understand and they explain it to me like I'm thick. But you talk about rebuilding or, or reprogramming a mind. Well, I say reprogram, maybe control or deleting the mind. Uh, <laughs> how would you expect a theist to take this on board? How would you expect a Christian to take it on? And have you had any feedback from a Christian who has? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They hate it, naturally. I didn't think they were going to like it, to be honest. I don't want to change people's beliefs. This is this is one thing I guess that a lot of people miss, and it's a fair enough thing to miss. I don't care what you believe. All right, I honestly don't care. But I'm still going to speak my mind about what I think about your beliefs, and they're just beliefs. Hmm. This is what this is all I want people to realize. Okay, I think the root of understanding will be my beliefs are just that they're just beliefs. Once we can have that humility once we can achieve that level of humility because what is religion it's hubris guised as humility it's not humility at all 
It's egocentrism, you know, my belief, my God, my religion, my, 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 me, me, me. It's it's childish. I think so, there's, there's a lot more humility in atheism and acknowledging I don't know. I don't know is the most honest answer people can say with regards to those more profound questions. Mm. With regards to questions such as, is peanut butter better than Vegemite? The answer is no. Okay, you can say that. You don't have to be humble. You know that Vegemite's better. Damn straight. You don't have to. There's no question there, right? Is nutty peanut butter better than smooth peanut butter? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. All right. I don't need to be humble there. Does a God exist? I don't know. Okay, I don't know. I d- my, my inkling is maybe not. Maybe not. Okay, that's my, my feeling on the issue. <laughs> I don't care if a God exists, to be honest. I'm, they call it apatheist. Someone who doesn't care if God exists. I don't care. Oh, I really like that he term. He doesn't pay my bills, all right? He doesn't cook my dinner. He doesn't do anything useful for me. Oh, but you're not seeing all he does for you. Okay, he does so much. Yeah, just like, look around Like, what about those you. people that survived the plane crash? What about the people that died in the plane crash? No. Well, he knows that was his plan. And On that, just one final point with what you were saying mm-hmm. there, how you, you weren't intending to change the way people think. I read the book and I walked away having reaffirmed exactly, or more or less, what I thought before, just with some Conf- additional Confirmation clarity. bias. Yeah, well, <laughs> quite, quite possibly. But you know what? I read the Bible as well and uh-huh, thought this right. is even more nonsense than I thought. Disconfirmation pre- bias. Yeah. All right. So there you go. Sorry, For those I'm playing along at it. home. I'm you- being an idiot. Sorry. <laughs> That's fine. All right. So, Michael Sherlock, thank you very much for coming on The Herd Mentality. Where can we find your book? You can find it at Amazon.com. Uh, you can find the other one there too, part two. You can also go to my website, www.michaelsherlock.org. And uh, you can go to my Facebook page as well. It's The URL is michaelsherlock.author or Facebook forward slash michaelsherlock.author. But the name of the page is um, Sherlock's House of Atheism and Heresy. Mm. It sounds almost as exciting as the Herd Mentality Recording Dungeon. <laughs> I reckon you'd have some cool parties there. Yeah, yeah, we do, actually, we do. Yeah. Lots of religious trolls come by and, yeah. Righto, Michael, thank you very much for coming on the show and uh, we'll look forward to seeing more of you on Twitter. Thanks very much for that. <laughs> <laughs>